Welcome to episode 375 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have regular contributor, the director of the Wildlife Law Program for the animal rights organization Friends of Animals, attorney Michael Harris. And we talk with attorney Harris about the pandemic and how he and his family are dealing with it there in Denver, Colorado. We talk about uh, environmental issues regarding 45's attempt to curtail a few via an executive order, wild horses we get into, aquariums and wet markets. Very ethical, very philosophical, very thoughtful, and very insightful conversation with attorney Michael Harris. We have an EWSA called Problem Solved. We share some findings as gathered by Harper's Magazine in their July 2020 edition. Actual findings I think you'll find pretty compelling. And we have an EW poem called Subatomic. All of this, of course, as is always the case, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 375 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
Problem solved. I can smell Southern Italia on my person. It is so wondrously human, intermingled with the thick aroma of olive tree groves, vineyards, salt water, and vespas. I perhaps am irresponsible or not fully aware of my action, though I must say I do not understand the need, the way so many of us bow down to the man who tries to take us away from living for good as good individuals and two, as a thoughtful, aware part of a dynamic, complicated collective. It is so much more simple to honestly intellectualize and feel through our heart and soul what, who we are, as we exist here together for real. All of this type of talk is surely to be relegated away as a pile of misguided naivete based on purely unrealistic conjecture-driven hearsay. Now you should be suspicious, when you are made to sense you are bad for thinking outside of established injustice, when you are forced to embrace a narrow look at humankind, when you are made to feel silly because you choose the deeply delicious over strings-attached auspicious advancement within the parameters of your peers. Oh dear, we fear... I fear the wrong things. I suppose we should not fear at all. Let's build more infrastructure, despite its toll on the natural environment. That's all problem solved. Why have we separated ourselves so much from it? Do you bask in the sound of the leaves, bristling melodic by the sunshine breeze? Throw your leaf blower into a volcano. So lunatic, yes. Que shame.
Michael. How are you? Harris. I am fine. It's good to have you back on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. No, it's good to be back. We're talking to a regular contributor, director of the Wildlife Law Program for the animal rights organization Friends of Animals. And uh, he's been fighting the good fight for a good number of years uh, at the highest levels, nationally and internationally. And um, we've talked to him several times. He's been, he's been on the show for a while. So we're going to continue our conversation. And there are some new developments uh, that we could uh, focus on, too. But first, I want to ask you, how are things going up there in Colorado? Well, you know, I'm fighting the good fight from home in Colorado now and um, have been here since uh, March 17th and and uh, my team is working remotely, and um, you know I'm trying to be. I'm now a um, fighting the good fight. Plus, I am a, a school administrator, school teacher, and now a summer daycare camp uh, <laughs> administrator and teacher. With my eight-year-old son being home and trapped with me in the house, actually today, and I've, we're filling up a um, a three-foot by ten-foot swimming pool in the backyard good luck <laughs> yes so uh to get him into the water again but but otherwise things are good we've been going on little overnight camping trips we just were on one on wednesday night excuse me tuesday to wednesday so we're doing little day excursions and night excursions and and trying to keep our head up yeah, you know that's exactly it. It gets, it's getting, it's getting. I don't know for you, but you've been there since St. Patrick's Day, you know, uh, March seventeenth, and uh, you know we, we've been pretty much holed up here in my neck of the woods for about the same amount of time. And, and after a while, it kind of gets to you. It's probably great to go out. I haven't gone camping. That's probably a great idea. Our good friend Todd, Todd Traskus up in Vermont, he was on a couple of weeks ago on the show, and. He was saying that's how he's been keeping his sanity, you know, going out into the into into nature, forced bathing, bathing I think he calls it. Yeah, that's good for him too. It's hard because I don't know about where you are, but here in in Denver and particularly uh, outside of Denver, um, you know, people are trying are are not trying to. They're normalizing 
pretty quickly, and it's hard for us to know what the right thing to do is, particularly with the son who sees his friends starting to have normal lives again, and we're trying to explain to him that it's probably premature, but it's hard. It's hard with no guidance and leadership on this thing, for sure. At the state level as well as the national? I mean, the national level, I don't have to question you on that. I know where you stand uh, on, the, on the type of leadership we're getting on the national level, but how about in the state of uh, Colorado? Are you happy with what your governor's doing? You know, he, he has done some good things, but he has also really, I think, our political landscape is a, a purple state. Um, he w- requires him, I think, to, um, you know, bend a little bit too much to appease a lot of the more rural areas and more conservative portions of the state. And, um, and he has tried to walk that line. And like I said, at this point, um, it just depends on where you go. It could look like uh, there's a pandemic or it could look like you're a million miles away from anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Your governor's name, I've, it, it escapes me. Uh, Polis, actually. That's right. That's right. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, it's an odd time for sure. And, and probably given people, human beings are so concerned about uh, civil rights uh, and and uh, their their physical health, uh, vis-a-vis the the pandemic uh they're not so concerned maybe with people who such as yourself are talking about other persons the rights of other animals Mm -hmm. yeah it's an interesting time right to be doing work like this when you have such a you know whirl of activity going on on human rights issues and black lives matters of course and and uh, then on top of that, the pandemic and the lack of a federal response and an election coming up and everything else, right, that's supposed to change the world, hopefully, for the better. And um, so it is. But, you know, we, that doesn't mean we can stop our work and we have to be sympathetic towards it. We have a, as an organization, um, you know, put um, our website work aside and our a lot of our social media aside in respect for what is going on with, with uh, BLM. And um, at the same time, though, we have to be diligent. I mean, um, one of the uh, topics we're going to talk about uh, in our call here today is the executive order that attempts to eliminate environmental review from a lot of federal projects. And, you know, at the heart of it, the president is, you know, misusing the pandemic as an excuse to wreck the environment. And so we, we got to be diligent that there, there are people like the president who are willing to use these things to uh, to um, advance his ridiculous agenda. While we have to be respectful of the same the same things, whether it's BLM or the or the pandemic in our work. Exactly. I mean, that is your responsibility as you've taken it on. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the president. We also should be uh, very, um, I, I suppose, uh, clear. It's not just the president. It's the Republican Party to, the, to a great, great extent, those in, in Congress, at least. And uh, the, the, the folks in, in big industry that are behind the the executive order that we're talking about for sure because it serves their interests and the agency heads that uh, he's put in place that come from industry for the most part who are following his you know following and carrying this out so yes you're right it's it's 
It's a whole slew of uh, people that the president is uh, being uh, catering to and and um, and using and using things that uh, that are going on in society as an excuse to do it, even when he ignores their value to society. And you know, even and even I'll say with Black Lives Matter, there has it hasn't been um, used as much to subvert environmental and and animal rights. And I don't think. The movement doesn't subvert it. I just, I just mean someone who uses it to subvert it. But there has been uh, some conservative news outlets who, um, while uh, you know, ignoring what the movement is is trying to achieve and why it's occurring, and, and the history of why we're here, to, to to go after environmentalists and animal activists for somehow um, disrespecting the movement, which is hogwash. I mean. You know, in no way would um, the people I work with disrespect the movement, but it's being used that way, I think, to try to scare us off from uh, doing our work during this time. And again, used in a cynical, cynical manner by those conservatives who don't believe in animal rights, nor do they believe in human rights for people other than, you know, folks from their own little clique, I suppose. That's right. And, you know, it's sort of ironic. You may have seen in the news this judge. Um, uh, out of uh, the, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals this week who uh, sent emails to his law clerks uh, that were defending the Confederate uh, statutes and was um, attacking efforts by um, Congress to try to pass a bill to get rid of the names of the Confederate bases and so forth. And one of his law clerks, or one of the law clerks they sent it to, was a young black man who actually spoke out and um, and uh, stood up to the to this judge. He's a senior judge, and then I think it was in Monday or Tuesday it hit the newspapers his exchange, and I think he's being referred to a judicial ethics panel about this. Um, quite quite frankly, it's just astonishing, right, that a federal senior judge would be sending emails like out to law clerks and to staff. Um, but on the same day that story broke, that same judge issued a decision denying us uh, in an animal rights case. So there you go. The same people, right? Same uh, people. Same people. So, Well, I'm glad we have people such as yourself and your colleagues who are fighting the good fight and speaking really about uh, ethical behavior and uh, thoughtful, moral sort of uh, analysis when looking at all lives, and I don't mean to connect myself to all lives matter because that's a BS concept. I'm talking right. about the the fact that we as sentient beings need to give all other sentient beings the respect and the opportunity to live a good life, the same opportunity in the same respect. And, and it, so it extends what you're talking about beyond just animals but the voice animals other than human animals but the the voice we know of those animals really cannot be heard so you're you're being their voice in a way that's right i think that that's exactly right and and um we cannot let uh what is happening um in some arenas um devalue or be used to try to um increase the value of another i think they're they're very independent but it's all about having respect for life and for looking for those that need it most and letting them um, uh, either through uh, others' voices or their own voices, if they're capable, um, have the right to, to, to speak and to 
uh, let folks know what they need and what is um, being done to them or causing them to have diminished uh, meaningful, successful lives. And so animals, like you said, need our voice. But they're telling us things every day, right? I mean, we're not um, we're not making up what it is to be a to have a meaningful life as a a prairie dog. Um, we're learning from them. We're we're starting to understand, and so we're putting a voice to their behaviors and to their uh, their expressed emotions, and to let other people know uh, how they're being affected. Very very well said. Very well said. So this executive order, it, yeah. it, um, it could jeopardize not only animals, but uh, the natural environment in general. Uh, and would you say this is a cynical ploy by 45? And, why, and, how, and, and how might it jeopardize uh, the health and well-being of, of the natural environment and, and, other, and all animals, including humans? So just so that everyone uh, knows what the executive order says, in a nutshell, it directs all federal agencies to implement federal projects uh, as quickly as possible and wherever possible without any environmental review. That is a review to determine if the building of a road or the construction of a dam or the uh, logging of a forest or the extraction of oil mineral resources on public lands. No review to see if they're going to have detrimental effects on climate change, endangered species, um, uh, you know, beautiful landscapes, whatever it is that may be the environment that would be affected. And the basis for this underlying is that we need to make sure all this stuff goes uh, quickly so the economy recovers because of COVID-19. So he's using the pandemic, which he says doesn't exist or is over with um, or won't acknowledge, um, as a means to uh, basically put a halt on all this environmental review. Um, I will tell you, I don't, in my career, I don't, I get asked a lot, like, what do you think? Do you think this will win or do you think this will lose? And I try not to say anything because I'm, you know, I can't foresee the future and there's so many factors that go into a case. But you know what? There's no way this one's standing. I mean, this is, this is as, as good, I think, of a slam dunk for those who lit it. And it won't be me. I, There'll be uh, people in, a, in uh, much larger organizations than mine that will take this on. But um, for, for two reasons. One is the National Environmental Policy Act itself, which guides most of these reviews, um, has a process to issue uh, exclusions for projects. And uh, agencies, like for instance, if agencies routine, routinely do something, uh, for instance, uh, maybe they routinely um, dredge and clean up small waterways to prevent flooding in the area. And they can conclude that every time they do this, it has a minimal effect on the environment. And they could issue an exemption for, you know, dredging of uh, known waterways not to exceed so much you know, acreage or so much removal of debris. And then anything that fits that, they still have to make sure there's no weird thing going on, like, well, this waterway has an endangered species in it. So they have to do a quick checklist. But there's a process for those types of exemptions. And he's in running that process, um, which is has so... Uh, substantial amount of 
of review and precedent and law behind it. The second is, is that even if the courts could buy the COVID-19 as an emergency, um, NEPA makes it clear that emergencies are not exempt from NEPA. There is a process that could be undertaken. And in some cases, uh, you could abate the emergency, do the minimum necessary to abate the emergency, but you still have to do the NEPA review afterwards. Right. Um, and so it's all, and in fact, I just had one of these cases in the last uh, couple of years in which uh, a fire um, took place and they wanted to remove a bunch of wild horses after the fire. And uh, the court said, no, 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 you can't just call it an emergency. You have to first evaluate what's the minimum necessary. Like, can you, for instance, provide extra food and water to the horses and then do an evaluation to determine what the long-term solution should be? So it's not, it's just, it's just so broad and so sweeping and so baseless, right? Um, His executive uh, order, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd go out on a limb here. And say this one's going to see a swift defeat in the courts. Yeah, you know, I was reading up on it once uh, we decided to talk about uh, the executive order by 45. And uh, one of your colleagues, maybe you've worked with this person, uh, but I say colleague because she also is in the world of environmental law. She's out of um, uh, Western Environmental Law Center. Uh, mm-hmm. And she, her name is uh, Attorney Susan Jane Brown, and she put it exactly the same way you did. Basically, uh, that the, there is a relief valve in NEPA that allows for expediating, but it uh, but it does doesn't waive environmental review obligations; it just delays them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what you're saying. So you know, you and other experts uh, are pretty confident that this has no. Uh, this doesn't have a lot of a lot of weight. It'll, it'll it doesn't have a lot of teeth when it comes down to the the uh, interpretation of the law. Yeah, I th- I think so. I think this is a real stretch, and you know, and and for him to use the the COVID nineteen pandemic as a, it's just so disgusting. Well, how how about when he used George Floyd in a speech about the economy? You know, this is a great day. George Floyd is looking down. Something to that effect. It was disgusting. Uh, yeah, this it was guy. Just- he could do yeah. anything. He doesn't matter, you know, anymore. <laughs> There's no the bar can never get lower. No, you can't, and uh, you got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> no, he doesn't respect human life. Why would you ever think? Unless they're cute to him, would he respect other uh, sentient beings? Anyway, we're talking to Michael Harris. Go, what, go ahead. What were you going to say? I said at least he's having a bad couple weeks right now. So. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope it holds to the uh, November election, and uh, we come to our senses as a nation. Uh, though again, he never really won. You know, he lost by three million votes. Let's keep, <laughs> let's keep that in mind. So uh, I know you wanted to talk about a few other things as well. So uh, you know, uh, you you wanted to talk about Mystic Aquarium, and the, the importation of beluga. I have beluga every night with dinner. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> champagne as well. The caviar, the beluga caviar. Yeah. The, yes. Uh, well, yeah, I do. I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk because we were talking about the pandemic about, um, Oh, wet the wet market. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could do, cause it, you know, carry the pandemic theme just for a few minutes oh, and then oh, the yeah. because it's close, to, closer to home for you. It's one of the few cases I've had that's, uh, in your, it's in Connecticut, but you know, it's in your neck of the woods. Um, yeah, you know, one of the, you know, as many of your listeners probably have heard, uh, you know, one of the strongest theories about, COVID-19 is that it 
originated in one of these wet markets uh, in, in, in China. And a wet market is, as compared to a dry market, is a place where live animals are slaughtered versus selling of prepackaged animals like we might at a grocery store here. Um, we wouldn't call the grocery store, uh, well, frankly, some of them do slaughter animals in the back, but for the most part, it's not live animals being brought into the local grocery store. And so, um, and I don't want to pick on China because there, and this is important, there are wet markets throughout the world, including in the United States, particularly on the West Coast. Now, they may not be um, uh, above ground. That is, the wet, the actual slaughtering might be done, by, you know, um, sort of behind closed doors in these markets. Um, but they exist everywhere. In the in Africa, we would call them, you know, bushmeat markets, um, as well as wet markets. You know, we have them throughout um, uh, portions of Eastern Europe. We have them obviously throughout Asia. Uh, we have them here in the United States. Now, the ones in China are some of the biggest. I mean, both in like size of, of the number of animals that go through it, as well as densely packed. Um, some of these markets, you know, are, are um, serve populations of hundreds of millions of people. So um, it, it increases the risk. But, you know, there are uh, at least a half a dozen, if not more, um, um, diseases that are related to um, COVID-19 and other uh, viruses that have originated in these wet markets around the world over the past few decades. And uh, most health, world health experts would recognize them as probably the most prominent uh, concern for um, uh, uh, pandemics, including this one and future pandemics. And so there's been a real push uh, to get them closed up. And China has actually taken steps towards um, shutting down and controlling the types of animals that go through these markets, whether that will last or be effective, who knows? Uh, part of the problem in a place like China, of course, is it could be pushed underground but still occur. Um, but they have eliminated and they put out a list of animals that could be lawfully slaughtered. It looks more and more like what we would think of the U.S. Department of Agriculture allowing at a slaughterhouse. Um, and it's eliminated a lot of the exotics, which is important because, you know, as we've talked about, it is the wildlife trade that is decimating species and habitats around the world. And so our organization has um, uh, hired an outside consultant and we're participating. We actually have an effort by Senator Cory Booker and Senator Blumenthal. Uh, to um, undertake congressional investigations into the role of wet markets and wildlife trade in pandemics. And this is really helpful because uh, back in 2014, uh, then Secretary Clinton had started looking at the connection between wildlife trade and funding of terrorist and, cr and criminal organizations. Mm. So um, putting, and that still exists. And now we have health issues. So this is becoming a real possibility of something occurring within the United Nations. Um, uh, the World Health Organization is like, we think it's a problem, but we don't think we have authority to do anything. Uh, but there's been efforts within the UN Security Council and elsewhere to um, start to crack down and prevent this stuff. 
And that works for your organization and what you believe in because it just um, limits uh, the amount of animals that are going to be slaughtered, I suppose, or at least treated in a, in a, in a most inhumane way. Is that is that why this is important to you? Not just because of, you know, how it it could uh, help us curb the possibility of another pandemic occurring, but is it more about how it it does limit the the abuse of of animals? It's the abuse of animals, their murder of these animals in these markets, but also the, um, the, the, the maintaining of wild populations to free live. And the, these markets, along with, um, you know, some of them are legal and some of them are illegal. They all mix sort of together. It's, it, it may be illegal to take certain animals to these wet markets because they're protected under CITES and they're considered in danger. But there's a lot of other animals that are going to market that haven't gotten there yet. But, but that's how they, they're going to end up on those lists, right? Um, by us uh, harvesting them or poaching them from the wild. And at the same time, we're destroying habitat. A lot of these animals, the only way to actually catch them is to destroy their habitat by fire or driving them into, um, you know, either through fire or through removing the habitats or driving them into smaller and smaller confined places where you could capture them in, in snares, traps, and so forth. Um, it's amazing, like, just to get to some animals, you destroy habitat that would serve hundreds more of the same animals. So it's, it's actually, you know, a, 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 a several magnitudes of extra damage you're doing to these animals uh, when we're poaching them or trapping them in legal trade. We humans, we leave a large footprint. We do. And we oftentimes do not think uh, if history is, is any indicator. Uh, what sort of negative effect we have uh, on 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 what is going what is around us? We just focus on what we want and we go for it, regardless. I think that is a safe thing to say. Um, though we're becoming more aware, I hope. I, I guess I don't know. To be honest with you, you you mentioned Senator Blumenthal from Connecticut and Senator Booker from New Jersey and yeah. CITES, uh, the international law that uh, addresses species. Um, just to, in case people wanted to know more about the, those uh, references. Um, now, how does, how does the mystic aquarium fit into this? You, these are like last minute things you threw, you threw, uh, out there in a text to me you wanted to get to. And, and by the way, wet, when we say wet market is wet, is that, you know, a reference to blood? <laughs> is that what yeah, really, it, it is a reference to blood. Oh, that's great. Isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, no, I, I just, it dawned on me at the last moment that uh, where you are and that some of your your listeners may be familiar with the Mystic Aquarium. Um, I understand it's somewhat of a cultural treasure in Connecticut, um, and I, I suppose that people in in New York City and surrounding states might also um, be aware of it. And so um, this is this is pre-pandemic work that's just coming to a you know to um, a head where we probably are going to do some legal action. But uh, if, it, it all starts actually with a good story, and that is in Canada, um, uh, the uh, government has outlawed um, marine mammals like belugas and killer whales and dolphins from being able to be used uh, for entertainment purposes. So this is a big blow for the marine lands and other aquariums up there in Canada. 
the problem that they have, of course, is that um, th- there's, and this happens to be marine land in Toronto, they have belugas that they can't use in a show. So they're basically just caretakers for them right now. And that's not something they want to do. They don't want to just spend money on keeping these animals alive. They can't kill them. That would be illegal as well. So they're shopping them around. And uh, the Mystic Aquarium wants to purchase two of them. And I believe it's two, one or two, and bring them down and put them in an exhibit in Connecticut. And we oppose this. Now, some people would say, well, they're already captive. What's the problem? Well, what we would hope is that if a marine land and other Canadian aquariums who face the same problem don't have a place to just send them and maybe may even make a little money off of them, that they would invest in a marine sanctuary, the first one of which recently opened up in Scandinavia. And so and there are other places, particularly if you look in the Pacific Northwest, that these things could be created. And these are just very, very large sea pens where they can, the animals can still get some of the care that they've become adapted to. And so we'd like to force the hands of uh, these Canadian aquariums that face this new law to look at this as a better alternative. So we're opposing the, the, the transfer, and, and the, they do need a permit from Fish and Wildlife Service. And so if any of your listeners um, visited or have visited or do visit the Mystic Aquarium and this uh, – this uh, sort of um, is something that you're opposed to them doing. Um, we'd love to hear from you because if you could lend your voice to what we're doing, and that's all we would ask you to do. We're not asking for money or, or asking you to, you know, become a plaintiff in lawsuit, but it would certainly help us show that we're representing people that oppose this. And um, the permit isn't issued yet, but it, it could be issued at any time. Um, it's been pending for a while now. And who would they um, who would they send out their opposition to? Uh, you could contact Friends of Animals. You could contact me, Michael Harris, at friendsofanimals.org. Um, or we have a website you can go on and find uh, contacts if you if you have it if you if you think about it later on. Uh, but track us down. We're in the Wildlife Law Program at Friends of Animals, and you can find us on the web. Excellent. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Michael. Yeah, again, you know the work that you do is so multifaceted, so and so compelling uh, in in terms of the the um, the questions and that it makes us reflect on, and the behavior it makes us also wonder about that comes from our species. Uh, and I, I I commend you, and I, I thank you for all of all of that. Thank you for that compliment. I really appreciate it, and. And I enjoy your show and your your work and and, and this opportunity to be on it um, every few months. Oh yeah, we'll have you back again and again and again, sir. Uh, take care of your yourself and enjoy you know filling that pool up. I hope it doesn't fall uh, you know apart as you put water in it. That's what I that's what I'm predicting. If if, if my experience is any any example of what yours will be, <laughs> we'll give it a shot. <laughs> All right, thank you, sir. Okay, thanks. Bye bye.
Findings, actual, true, real findings, from Harper's Magazine, July 2020 edition. 50,000-year-old three-ply string was found in France, and a 20,000-year-old circle of 64 mammoth skulls and 51 mandibles was found in the Russian plain. A rock carving in Temere, Iran could not be dated owing to U.S. sanctions on the materials required for radiocarbon dating, but was determined to be a mantis man. Machine learning proved successful in distinguishing ancient human feces from ancient dog feces, which can be difficult not only because the two species' feces come in similar sizes and shapes, but also because humans ate dogs and dogs ate human feces. Ice cores reflect a sharp rise in atmospheric lead levels after Henry II made amends for the murder of Archbishop Thomas Beckett by building new churches with lead roofs. Medieval skeletons from Jutland indicated the use of copper kitchen utensils and conquistadors depended on indigenous American copper smelters for the manufacture of munitions. 10,000 years ago, humans began creating thousands of Amazonian forest islands in the savannas of the Llanos de Majos, 
Human populations in East Asia are losing body odor as they evolve. Amateur martial artists smell worse after a fight if they lose. And male ring-tailed lemurs exude a fruity perfume from their wrists. Rising levels of carbon dioxide may lead to a decline in human cognitive abilities, while rising heat may increase suicide rates. Observations taken on Valentine's Day suggest that Betelgeuse is warmer than previously thought, and a study of rudists' shells revealed that in the late Crustaceous, oceans reached 104 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer, and there were 372 days in a year. An immense reduction in cold water plankton occurred during the 20th century, and North Atlantic subtropical mode water is losing its capacity to store carbon, as are tropical rainforests. But the kelp forests of Tierra del Fuego remain relatively stable. Sea turtles find the smell of biofouled plastic appetizing. New Caledonian reef manta rays take nighttime dives as deep as 672 meters. Researchers explain that sleep contains, quote, islands of wakefulness, and wakefulness, quote, islands of sleep. Bedtime procrastinators were found to have more, quote, eveningness tendencies. Aboriginal Australians have higher levels of sleep apnea, and sleep hygiene interventions improve the sleep of Navajo caretakers of developmentally disabled children. Florida adolescents who sleep four hours a night or less are, compared with those who sleep at least eight hours a night, 85% more likely to bring guns to school. Children's dreams, which were found to be more thematically diverse and less structured than those of adults, are likelier to feature a living person as having died, while adults' dreams tend to feature the return to life of someone who has died, as well as instances of arriving too late. As women grow older, their dream selves grow less likely to see other women and less likely to be victimized. Dreamers rarely encountered God. True, real Findings from Harper's Magazine. Five thousand six. 
Subatomic. I want to scream. I want to cry. I want to hear a sweet lullaby. Who can hear me? Who cannot? I knew yesterday, but today I forgot. My pain is real, though inconsequential. It's like a gust of wind coming off several branches of leaves from a forest of trees just around the bend. Intercontinental. I am subatomic and incidental. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round and you can't find a fighter but I see it in you so we can walk it out We gon' walk it out and move on days And I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid I'll rise up, and I'll do it a thousand times again And I'll Silence is quiet And it feels like it's getting hard to breathe And I know you feel like dying But I promise we would take the world to its feet Move I won't dance Bring it to its feet
for that we have each other. And there you have it, episode 375 of Troubadours and Rakan Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, regular contributor and good friend, attorney Michael Harris. I also would like to thank Harper's Magazine and these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Paul McCartney and Wings, Marvin Gaye, Katie Pruitt, the movie cast of Rent, Andra Day, Terrence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. And I'd like to thank you. It's great to have you with us. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.